the evidence of things not seen. For, it, the, for, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith... Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of the household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the, prom- of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country." Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the example of these people that you have laid out for us in scripture, Lord, that we can look at them and realize, Lord, they had faith looking towards what was coming. And Lord, we can have that faith looking back to what you have already done for us. And we should be realize that uh, we can't come here without thinking and realizing what you have done for us. It should break us. And we should come to a point and realize, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Lord, I pray that none of us would be able to leave here this morning without being touched by your word and without being changed by your word. Lord, if we come to your word and we just absorb it and nothing changes, what's the point? What's the point? It should break us. It should show us where we are broken. And we should change to follow after you. Lord, I pray that you would just give us the desire in our heart to seek you and to follow you with everything that we have. And Lord, I pray as Jackie comes right now, that hearts and minds would be open to receive the word that you have for them. And that it would be taken out into this lost world that surrounds us. In your name I pray. Amen. We find ourselves again in the application area of the book of Hebrews. We went through all the doctrine and 
Beginning in chapter 10, we start to focus on, well, what do we do with all this? What does this all mean? It's a call. God's calling us to a, to a life of faith, a goal of, of experiencing something maybe we haven't. See, a lot of times I think you and I, we think about faith like this. We think, I had faith once, a moment, and I called on the name of the Lord, and then that's it. And then somewhere else in life, you know, little bits get added here or there. The problem is, guys, that's not what we find in the Bible. The faith that saves is a faith that sustains. That we come to Christ and He does this work in our hearts and lives. And then our lives are marked by that. And that's why... clean conscience is a good pillow, right? <clears throat> Scripture says that in His sacrifice, He cleans our conscience, being our sympathetic high priest before God, that He intercedes for us day and night. And that idea of intercession, remember, it's not just Jesus coming to His Father and saying, Dad, Dad I covered that. It's Him standing before the Father for you.
Anybody wants to run up and bring me a battery? Oh. <coughs> That's what happens when I don't check it first. I need you. Everybody, it's Mark. Mark, it's everybody. <laughs> I can get louder. Does that help? Okay, also as we've gone through this doctrinal section of Hebrews, we've, we've been challenged, right? He's challenged us to do what? To be careful of four things. He said, be careful of drifting, right? Set your anchor. What is your abiding possession? Remember, if it's set in anything but Christ, when the waves come, you're drifting. Next thing you know, you're washed out to sea. You look around and you say, how did I get here? But, but what he says is, He's exhorting, his exhortation is don't drift, stay anchored to Christ. Because if you drift, the next thing that happens is you become dull of hearing. Now, now you can't hear the truth anymore. When you can't hear the truth anymore, next thing that happens is you begin to doubt it. And doubting leads to despising it. And so he says, don't do that. Don't drift don't get pulled away. Don't become dull. Don't become doubter. Don't be, <clears throat> don't be one who be, goes to the point of despising our great God. So we have the hall of faith laid out before us right here. And it's given to us of examples full of men and women, just like you and I, who did something special. They laid hold of the future reward of joy with God in such a way that it radically changed their life. Just think about that for a minute. They laid hold of the reward of joy with God in such a way that it radically changed their life. It wasn't the same. Hebrews 11 gives us these examples. Remember last time we talked about the reality of whether or not we could please God any other way. But without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible for us to please God because we must believe He is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So we need to know that God is real and God is rewarding. That's what faith is all about. God is real and God is rewarding. He provides for us those things that we need in our life. Those things that we have to hold on to. Why? Because the more we know God, the more our faith grows, the more we are transformed... And we become like Him. That's what marks all these guys that we see here in Hebrews 11. But remember, faith's not just a one-time act. It's not something that happened once. <coughs> it's a lifestyle. If you diet as a one-time act, you may lose weight once. But nothing in your life really changes. Unless it becomes your lifestyle. How do you know that, Jackie? I'm fat. That's how I know that. <laughs> well, why are you fat? To be honest, because I don't care. <clears throat> My wife is going skiing all the time. Now she bought a bike. She wants to go riding all the time. She asked me, let's go riding. No. Why not? I don't want to. 
I earned the fat I got, and I'm not willing to see it go. But if I wanted it to go, what would I have to do? Change lifestyle. Yes? Lifestyle changes. Uh, uh, coming to Christ, saving faith is that. It's not a once, one-time deal. Poof. It is, a, it is something that transformed your life. It's a, way we, it's a lifestyle. Does that make sense? A lifestyle of faith. That's what we want to understand. This is what I want you to hold on to. The verse <clears throat> right before Hebrews 11 started kind of lays this out for us. Take a look at it. Hebrews 10.39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. What's he talking about? We're not like those who shrink back. We're not that, that flash in the pan. Jesus talked about seed, right? A seed is cast. It, it springs up quickly. But the sun shines on it, and what happens to it? Shrivels up and goes away. Well, that wasn't saving, was it? No, it was a flash. It wasn't a lifestyle. It was a, just a quick moment, a flash in the pan. So he says, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. What's he say? We are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. Moving forward. Shrinking back to destruction... Or pressing on <clears throat> in faith to the preservation of our soul. Which are we? Faith that saves from destruction and preserves the soul is a faith that is oriented in the future. It's constantly moving forward. And that's what all these stories in Hebrews tell us. That by faith, by faith, by faith, gains confidence from the past. And that confidence puts uh, our hope in the future of God's promises. And we have a lot of those we're going to look at. So hopefully, I know you're thinking, Jackie, he went all the way to verse 16. Yeah, don't get your hopes up. We're laying it out for you, but we're going to pick it up in verse 7. And I want you to see those examples. And a, a sustaining faith that preserves. Every one of these next examples we're going to look at. Sustaining faith, looking forward, radically changed life. <clears throat> because it wasn't a moment, but it was a life. Looking to Christ, looking to the Lord in faith. It says in verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The first example we see is the example of Noah. <clears throat> Noah, an example of sustaining faith. What came first? There was an instruction from God, right? God provided some instruction, a warning. He provided a warning. We can read about that warning, guys, in Genesis chapter 6, verse uh, 9. We'll pick it up right there. It says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. <clears throat> He's a righteous man. He's blameless. He lives above the board. What he says he believes is how he lives, right? That... That faith that he has, even right now in the story in Genesis, is already a faith that has transformed his life. No. His life is different. It's certainly different than those around him. It says Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. 
And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So God lays out for him. He says, look, I'm going to destroy them. I'll wipe it out. And then he gives Noah instruction. He gives him instruction. Hey, before there was any rain, before there had ever been a flood, living out maybe in the middle of the desert, God called an old man to build a crazy box of wood to put a bunch of animals in it and wait for a flood. It says, by faith, Moses was moved with reverence. Moses was moved with reverence. Man, he saw the beauty, the majesty, the glory of God. And he obeyed. Faith obeys. It responds to what's going on. The events, they weren't there yet. It's not like it's raining and God said, okay, now it's raining so you can see. Nope, God just called him to do something he didn't see. Something he didn't know. Something he couldn't fully understand. But that's how God called him. And his response, reverence. And that reverence led him to do what? Build an ark. He did something, right? He followed God's instruction. This seems crazy. Everybody in the world thinks I'm nuts. But I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to go ahead and build the box. I'm going to go ahead and build the ark. And so Noah does so. Noah is moving in reverence. He constructs. That's his response. What's the influence from, of that? Well, how does that influence his world? It says that through him the world was condemned. Well, what's that mean? Well, 2 Peter 2.5 says this. If he did not spare, speaking of God, he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. How was Noah a herald of righteousness? We can imply a lot of things, right? Herald is a, a similar word for preacher, or uh, so maybe, maybe Noah preached, maybe Noah preached righteousness. You know what I tend to think? He was a herald of righteousness because he obeyed what God told him to do even when everybody else thought he was crazy. His faith wasn't a once in a moment flash in the pan. His faith was a sustaining faith. A preserving faith. Saved his whole family. The world was condemned through it because they saw his faith lived out. They saw it. They looked at him and thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. But, they did not respond. They had no faith. No flash in the pan. And ultimately, his reward, look what it says. He became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted, given to him, as righteousness. Abraham's life becomes a life of faith. He is receiving that promise of righteousness. Same way for Noah. It's a life of faith. He trusted in God. His faith was sustaining. It sustained him through the whole building. Building and building and building. You ever had a building project that would never end? <coughs> And he guesses how long 
Noah's building project was? 120 years? You ever had a building project that long? How about a building project that you were mocked for every day? Told how stupid this is. How dumb. What do you do? What, what is that for? There's not even any water here. How are you going to make that thing float? All the same questions mankind asks about Noah and his ark today. Oh, that's just mythology. No longer I live, the more I find out that all those things we thought were mythology we got a basis in reality. Whoops. No, that could. That could surely that could never happen. That could never happen. But when we see this story, when we lay out this concept of Noah, <coughs> we see that by faith. He first received a word from the Lord. He responded to that word in the Lord. And his lifetime was a lifetime of obedience to God. That was faith. No flash. Sustained. And it carried him through. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive it as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. What is it that happens to Abraham? Abraham does what? Receives a word from the Lord. What's the word? Abraham, go to a place that I will show you. And the Bible says he left not knowing where he was going. And I'm sure his family said, Hey, Abraham, where are you going? Moving. Where are you going? I don't don't know. How will you know when you get there? I don't know. What direction are you going to head? I don't know. You seem a little confused. The only thing I'm not confused about is, I need to go. Abraham received a word from the Lord, not a flash in the pan, a sustained journey of his life, following where God led him. It says, he went out. (coughs) He went out. He made the decision. The word of God compelled him. God said it, so I'm going to do it. God said it, I'm going to do it. He responded, he moved, he went. But he did not know where he was going. Next next verse, verse 9, it says, By faith he went to live in, in the land of promise. So eventually he gets there, right? He was going to a land of promise, but he didn't know where it was. He starts the journey. He gets to the land of promise, it says in verse 8. He got to the land of promise. Um... I'm sorry, in verse 9, he got to the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So when he gets to the promised land, he builds this huge city, right? Because this is the promised land, it's where we're supposed to be. No, that's not what he does. He lives as a stranger, a pilgrim, in tents, never builds a city. He comes to the promised land and God says, this is it. This is the promised land for you and your people after you. And he lived in a tent. He lived in a tent because he was looking for the city whose builder and maker was God. He was looking forward to something bigger. 
Are you looking forward to something bigger? Or is the biggest things for you in your past? Are you looking forward for something more? He lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. His desire was for permanence. (coughs) But the reality was, life is temporary. In verse 10 it says, He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. A city with foundations. A tent, it can move any time. A wind blows and a tent falls over. Tent tells us, Temporary, temporary, temporary. But a city with foundations, that doesn't blow over. A city with foundations, nobody comes and picks those up. Says, you know, I'm going to move the city 500 feet that way. No, they just have the city where it's at. It's set in its foundation. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. What is he looking for? Looking for something better than what is here. They have a more they have a more wonderful treasure, a more abiding treasure than what's here. Everything here with just a tent, with just temporary, looking forward for a future. Hebrews 12.22 says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal, gather, uh, festal gathering. Man, the city of God. There is a city. There will be a day. Hebrews 13.14 For we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. This place is not my home. Sustained faith through the life, radically transforming him. Look at verse 11. It says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him Faithful who had promised. Sarah wasn't a flash in the pan, was 24 years of promise for one year of reception, 24 years of promise. And she was past the age, and Abraham was as good as dead. So that's a way of saying he's a, a, an older fella. <coughs> He's as good as dead. But to both were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven, more innumerable than the grains of sand by the seashore. Now, you and I, we know the story, right? They had a son. They they do have a son. I can count him. But there was a part of that promise that was where? Future. A faith that held on to a future reality that there's going to be way more in the family. I was looking at you and I. Way more a part of the family moving and looking forward. So let's think about these. These (coughs) examples of faith. We just kind of highlighted. Worked our way through. Just kind of 
get a picture in your mind of these things. Because I want to say that there are four truths about faith and the life of faith that are evident in each one of these that we've looked at. Four truths. Four realities that we want to know, is this in my life? Is this my life? Is my life flash in the pan faith? Is my life sustained faith? A faith that transforms. A faith that changes me from the inside out. A, a, a faith that is today and tomorrow and the next day until I see Jesus. Here are those four things. Number one, <clears throat> the life of faith always has a promise from God. Through the word of God. The life of faith always has a promise of God through the word of God. Think about it again. Noah. <clears throat> we looked at Noah. Noah was warned by God about things he'd never seen before. Right? God came to him. God spoke to him. God told him something's coming. We look at Abraham. Abraham's called by God to leave his homeland to go to a place he'd never seen. A promised land. We know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were heirs of the same promise, that promised land. But they were encouraged to live in tents and look for a future city. And Sarah, she had the promise of God. You're going to have a child. Each one received from the word of God a promise from God. The life of faith always has that. The life of faith always has that word of God, that promise from God. Are we any different? Has God given that to us? Well, let's take a perusal. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches <coughs> in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs. Do we have a promise from God? Do we have a promise from God through the Word of God that we can hold to? Psalm 23, 6 says this, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do we have a promise from God like they had? Do we have a promise from God through the Word of God just like they did? Because every life of faith has that. That is our, that, that thing that we hold to, that we look for, the fulfillment of the promises of God. What about this? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from a love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God is saying, look... I'm the treasure, not your gold. I'm the treasure, not the shiny things in your, in your garage or the shiny things in your jewelry cabinet. I'm your treasure. Be content with what you have. I'm your treasure. And I will never leave you. <clears throat> All those other things leave. No? When Kathy's, <coughs> when Kathy's mom died, she left us a little bit of money, we made a decision to go buy a truck. So we went and bought a truck, and I had that truck for, I don't exactly know how long, I thought I knew the, the moment, but I'm not sure. All I know is it was, 
the day Kathy borrowed it. <laughs> now, Kathy will always say it's her truck. It was, it, was, it was her mom's money and it's her truck. Now she says it's my truck since she did this. She was pulling on the bridge at our house. You guys know where the house is? 108 Juniper. Feel free to come by anytime. There's a bridge there that has these rails on the side. And she thought the truck fit. Well, obviously it did because she got through the bridge. But there's an eight-foot crease and no paint the whole length of a brand new bed. Brand new. That, you know they say it's always new till you get your first scratch? The first scratch was eight foot long. <laughs> Everything gets scratched. Yeah, they fix it. That's all. It's fixed. But once that's done, you're just waiting for the next time she drives on the bridge. She took it skiing the other day. I can tell these stories. She's not sitting here right now. She took it skiing the other day, did great. Come back, I do my little inspection, walk around the truck, say, good job, hon. Hey, you made it all the way home, and all the pieces of the truck are still here. So we're always excited about that. But look, all our stuff like that, like that new truck, it's just going to wear out, right? Eventually, the... Whatever flashy things we got, whatever things we're holding on to, what's Jesus saying in this verse? He's saying, look, be content with what you got, because the greatest treasure in the world is me, and I'll never leave you. I'm never going to go. I'm not going to get scratched. I won't get dented. I'm not going to get irritated. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm always with you. Do we have promises like they had? Do we have a word from God to to hold to, to, to encourage us to move forward? John 15, 5, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's he guarantee? If you stick with me, you'll do what? Bear fruit. We always worry about that. Am I being fruitful? Is my life fruitful? It's simple. Don't make it complicated. Simple. It's not complicated. Faith in Christ, faith in God, sustaining faith, you'll bear fruit. He's the one, he's the vine, I'm the branch. He makes my life fruitful just by being with him. That's it. No, it's not complicated. Don't complicate it. Understand the simplicity of the word. Do we have a promise from God? Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Do we have a promise, an abiding promise from God that we can hold to? Just like they had. We look at all these guys and we think, they had something I don't. But I do have what they have. I do have a word from God. I do have promises from God to, to cling to, to hold to, to make a part of my life. In Luke 12, 12, he said, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Do we have promises from God? Jesus said, hey, someday you're going to be drugged before the courts, or you're going to have to stand up and be a witness for me. And don't worry about what you'll say that day, because on that day the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Do we have promises like he gave them? Do we have the word of promise from the word of God? James 1.5, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Do we have promises from God? Promises like they had. Things that are are available to us to encourage us to move forward. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We have promises. We have promises. Psalm 32.8 I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye upon you. It's not ever done watching, leading, guiding. We have the same promises. We have promises to lay out for us. There is always a promised work of God in the life of faith. And this took me about 30 seconds to put together. In a relatively quick search. What could you do with a lot of time? Are there more than this? The the pocket promise book I think has 365 promises in it, don't it? Lots of promises in the word of God. So when we look at the life of faith from these examples... They had a promised work of God in their life. Hey, look, I'm going to destroy the world. You need to build an ark. Or, Abraham, I need you to move. I'm going to take you to a different place. Or, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I don't want you to live in a house. I want you to live in a tent. Or, Sarah, you're going to have a child. They all had a promised work. They all had a promise from God. That's number one of the four truths in the life of faith. Number two, the life of faith always has an inner response. Now, obviously I'm going to talk about an external response too. But first we're going to focus on the inner response. Something that happens inside of the the person who is uh, the one of faith, the life of faith, this inner response. What was it? What was Noah's inner response? Reverence. God came to him and spoke. There was not, there was not an argument. There was not a complaint. There was just reverence. Reverence. A resigned respect, fear of God. So the inner response out of Noah was was reverence. The inner response out of Abraham is a little easier for me. Abraham's inner response was uncertainty. You ever had that as an inner response to the life of faith? I don't really know what I'm doing. Wasn't it comforting to know? Neither did they. They didn't have all the answers. There was not a ten point plan laid out for them. Here's how it's all going to work. <coughs> All he had laid out before him was the word of God. And his stepping out in obedience with it. Noah, his inner response was reverence. Trusting. Abraham's inner response was uncertainty. But it was uncertainty that still trusted God. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm, I'm with you. What about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob living in those tents? What was their inner response? Their inner response was 
looking forward. Looking forward. Their inner response was, man, I want, I want whatever God has for me. It's out there. It's out there in, in, that, in my life, in my experience, in the life that I'm going to live for Him. And I want to I be able to look for that. I'm looking for that. I'm not looking for what's here. I'm not looking for the shiny new truck. I'm not looking for the nice bike. I'm not looking for the fancy jewelry. I'm looking for Him. That's all stuff. And it's to be used and, and abused, however. But that's not the anchor. is Christ. They're looking ahead. Inner reverence, uncertainty with trust, looking forward. And Sarah, she regarded him faithful who had promised. She regarded him. Now, if you look at all four of these examples, none of them really know what's going on, do they? None of them really have the answers for, for how it's all going to work or what's going to happen. They all have that in common. But they have this inner response of trusting God, even in uncertainty. This inner response that regards Him as faithful. This inner response of reverence for God. They all have that. What about us? What's our inner response to this life of faith? Do we have trembling reverence with Noah over the greatness of God? Or the uncertainty of Abraham? Knowing the call, but not knowing all the details. Or do we look to God who is faithful in the midst of of this uncertainty. Because faith is that which lifts up its eyes to the builder, the maker. What did Sarah do? She regarded him faithful. What did, what did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob do? look to the future of a promise that was greater than anything they were going to experience here. So the life of faith holds on to the promises of God But it has this inner response, this inner response that comes out of inside our lives. Is that how the inside of our life looks? But the third thing, the life of faith, is not just an inner response, it's also an external response. It's also an act of obedience. Responding to what God lays out for them. Guys, is there something in your life that the world points to and says, that's weird. That's different. Because it wasn't hard for him to find it for for Noah, right? Uh, He's building a big ship in the middle of the desert. What about Abraham? Yeah, the other day I was talking to Abraham. He said he's going somewhere, but he don't know where he's leaving. He's leaving today. I don't know. He don't know where he's going. Or the people who said, No, why don't you build a city here? No, it's going to live in a tent. Or the people who told Sarah, Man, you ought to give up on that dream. Was it hard for them to see what made them different 
there was an external reaction. What was it? What was the difference? Noah built an ark. Abraham left security and family to follow God. Abraham lived in tents, looking forward to a future joy of a city he never got to see. Sarah got the nursery ready. What? Well, it says by faith, she was ready to receive seed to give birth. She was ready. <coughs> Something we often don't talk about and probably never think about when we come to that particular section. Abraham and Sarah, they, they still made love. Looking for a promise that took 24 years to come. By faith. They believed, they trusted. <clears throat> but what about us? Faith changes the way we live. A flash in the pan, faith won't. A flash in the pan will flare up. Quick as it comes, it goes. Nothing really changes and nothing's really transformed. (coughs) Sustained faith changes the way you live. Changes the assurance of the things hoped for. Gives you eyes to see the evidence of the fingerprints of God all around you. Only God can make sense out of an ark in the desert or moving to who knows where or living in tents and not in a city or holding on to a promise from God another day. Only faith makes sense of it. We see faith holding to the promises of God. The inner response of faith and the external response. Something people see changes, is transformed. The best one is the fourth one. See, the life of faith always enjoys some measure of God's reward now. The life of faith always enjoys some measure of God's reward now. Noah was saved and his family from the flood, right? Noah and his family are saved. But it calls him an heir of the righteousness to come. He's got a piece, a part. He's got a a niche on. He's got a promise. He's got a guarantee that there will be a future reality that he will be righteous. A future reality that he'll be able to stand before God in a right stance. He's got a little bit of that reward looking forward to the future. What about Abraham? He found the promised land. He prospered greatly. He was rich, wealthy man, living in tents. But he still lived in tents, never built a palace. He was always looking for that ultimate reward of God. What was the little bit of reward he had? He had the promised land. He lived in the promised land. 
He had more goats and sheep and servants and tents and stuff that most people knew what to do with. He had a little bit of that reward now. Looking forward to the fulfillment of the totality of it later. (coughs) Sarah had her baby. But the promise was, so many, like the stars, you can't count them. Or like the grains of sand, you can't count them. She had a little bit of the reward here. But a a much greater reward yet to come. We have a little taste. We have a little taste in that faith here. And more to come. What about for us? What about for us? Well, Hebrews 11.39 says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. They would not be complete. God didn't give them the fulfillment of the promise because He's waiting for us. We're all going to get the promise at the same time. What's that promise? Jesus. We're going to look in His face. We're going to see His eyes. We're going to know that the life of faith that we have lived was not in vain. But it had value. It had value. So we'll see blessing here. Yeah? Don't you see blessing here? Isn't your life blessed? Come on, most of us live here in the States. Well, trust me, you're blessed. Even if you don't think you are, you're blessed. Do we have joy here? Sure we do. We have joy here. Do we experience fruitful ministry? Well, yeah. God's doing a lot of stuff at Calvary Chapel View. A lot of good things are happening. A lot of lives have been transformed. That's fruitful ministry. We have a taste of salvation, don't we? A taste of knowing that that we have been saved from the wrath of God and we're looking forward to that moment when we stand before uh, the Father with the Son at our side and we hear the words, right, that we have an opportunity to hear. Well done. Good and faithful one. Enter into your master's happiness. But listen, all of that that we experience here is only going to be partial. This isn't it. Every joy is going to be followed with sorrow. Now we look through a glass. How does the Bible say? Darkly, dimly. We can't quite see it all. We don't get it all here. This is not the end all beat all. We get a little bit of the reward here. Looking forward to the future. Every bit of fruitfulness will also have within it a bruise. Every rose. How's the song go? Look at you guys go. Bunch of children of the 80s. Every relationship is going to have disappointment. Every service is going to have its critic. Every birth or wedding is going to have its funeral. Because this place is not it. There's one thing in all of our existence that remains unchanged. The goodness... And glory of God.
never changes. That's why when we look at the Hall of Faith, we hear these words, For here we have no lasting city. I don't have a joy that lasts forever here. I don't have happiness that lasts eternally here. I don't have a relationship that lasts forever. Nothing is eternal here. We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You remember the city that is to come? God talks about that city. He says on that day when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband... Do you know that God says, I'm going to wipe away every tear, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more death, no more disappointment. That's the city we look for. This is not that city. Our faith needs not to be a a faith that is a flash in the pan faith, but it's a sustained faith. We are those who are believing That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Are we not? We are those who are believing that He is the that great reward. Just as God said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. We are those who are believing. Which is simply another way of saying we have sustained faith. Faith today, faith for tomorrow, faith as we look forward. Just remember how this section closed. We'll look at this next week. In verse 13 it said, these all died in faith. (coughs) Let me tell you another way to say that. These all finished the race. You hear it? These all died in faith. That means their life was marked by what? Faith. Sustained faith. Trusting in God Almighty. They died in faith. Not having received the things promised. They didn't see the fulfillment of every promise. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. What they did see is it's out there. It's out there somewhere. I'm going to set my course by that reality that the promises of God are right out there, right off the horizon. I'm going to set my course by that reality. I'm going to set my course. He said, I I greeted him from afar off. Here it comes. Here it comes. We're We're going to experience it. It's going to happen. And they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. We've got to make peace with that. Or that will be your stumbling block. What do you mean? Well, when Jesus was talking about the sower going out to sow, one of the things he said was the cares of the world choked out the fruitfulness and the plant dried up, withered away. What does that mean? Well, they didn't come to the world as strangers and pilgrims. They came to the world as though the world had within it the treasure that would sustain them. The world doesn't have the treasure to sustain us. Only Christ is that treasure. Christ is that treasure. Messiah, Jesus, is that treasure. So we come in this world as strangers. I'm never surprised when people look at me 
On Tuesday, I promise you, someone will look at me and say, I'm strange. You're strange. What are you doing out here? What do you care what I do? Why does it matter to you? And then there'll be some kind of response like, I love you. And I, and I, and I want you to hear what God says. And they'll walk away at the end of it, if they walk away, saying, that dude is weird. All these people are strange. Because this place is not my treasure. There's a greater treasure. There's a greater value that we live for. Yes? We are strangers and pilgrims. Exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. This ain't it. I love my house. This is not the one. I love Idaho. I, I couldn't love a place more than I love Idaho. But this isn't it. There's better. There's a better home coming. They're seeking a homeland. A place where I belong. A place where we got like, like remember Cheers? Everybody knows your name? No? It's another show of the 80s? <coughs> Everybody wants to belong someplace, right? The, the church is supposed to be a little taste of that reward with a future that when we come to heaven, everybody knows your name. God knows your name. Jesus knows your name. Holy Spirit knows your name. And you belong with them. You belong For if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have went back. Hear what he's saying? The one thing Jesus said you can't do is put your hand to the plow and look backwards. Because if you spend your time looking backwards, what's the writer of Hebrews say? You'll let go of the plow and you'll go back. Flash in the pan faith. Sustain faith doesn't look at the thing I left. It looks at the thing I'm headed toward. It looks at the promise. It looks forward to Jesus. It looks forward to the promises that we have in God's Word that are going to be ultimately and completely fulfilled on that moment when we stand before Him. And we will not stand before Him and say, but what about? Because Jesus said, I make all things new. And all means all, and that's all it all means. So He's going to make it all new. All of it. All of it. We don't want to be those who shrink back to destruction, but those who move forward in faith. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has made them a city. Man, God has a city for us. We have a home, a place we belong. So we don't shrink back to destruction. No flash in the pan, faith saying, I I started, but I'm not going to finish. But we have sustained faith that holds fast. (coughs) There's the promise. Set my course. And I want to see Jesus. More than I want anything else. And they can have it all. 
Just give me Jesus. There's going to be nothing like that moment. When you look at the God of the whole universe, just you, not, well, there'll be a lot of people, but you're going to have your moment, right? You get that? <clears throat> the Bible says you'll stand before the Bema seat with Jesus. There will be nothing like that moment when you stand there and you see the love of Jesus coming off of his eyes, out of his face, and washing over you like a flood. There ain't nothing like that. That moment, that moment gives us focus for Monday. When the fog of Sunday drips off and you still got to deal with all the junk that's in this world. It was never meant to satisfy. Hold on to the promise. And have sustaining faith. Because that day is coming. And I promise you, there will be a day. Every wrong will be right. It will get set. Hold fast your course. Straight on to Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word as we study this hall of faith, the example (coughs) of those who have gone before us. God, I pray that we would recognize as as we look to and as we see the beauty of who you are and what you've done and the supremacy of you on every page in the book of Hebrews, that we would understand that the application then is I have a sustaining faith. A sustaining faith that says I believe not once upon a time. I believe. Period. I am believing. I am trusting. I am hoping. I am clinging. Holding fast that treasure that won't rot. Where moths can't destroy. Where where rust doesn't destroy. Where thieves can't break in and steal. That I hold fast to that which can't be removed. That He will never leave me. That He will never forsake me. That He is calling me. Sustain faith. Saving faith doesn't shrink back, doesn't run away, just sees the way forward. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus my Lord. God, I pray that you would give us the endurance that we need, Lord God, for we have need of endurance. We need to press on. We need to move ahead. And I pray that you would give us eyes that see your promises. I pray that you give us a heart able to receive your word. I pray, God, that you would do abundantly above all we can ask 
or imagine. And we give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.